Oasis. Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. My name is Scott Allen, and I am the host of Phronesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. I am an associate professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. I'm an author, an entrepreneur, a speaker, a nonprofit founder, and the host of two podcasts. I'm also a husband and dad of three. You just heard from Kate, my daughter, who wrote and performed the Phronesis intro. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover timely, relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. Now, I am proud to share that Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ilaglobalnetwork.org. If you like what we're up to, please click subscribe so you can stay up to date as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others. And now, today's show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Phronesis. We have a fun conversation that's going to happen today. We're going to be talking about gardeners. We're going to be talking about mechanics. We're going to be talking about systems. We're going to be talking about complexity. We are with Gary Lloyd, and Gary is, he's many things. He's a Buddhist. He is a coach at the Warwick Business School. He is a leader from Organizational Life, has led major IT trends, has led major transformations in IT. Uh, he combines design thinking, lean project management, systems thinking, behavioral science, and how he approaches this topic of leadership. And so, Gary, maybe fill in some blanks. What have I left out there, sir? I mean, that, that was just that was just epic. Uh, poker player <laughs> for a couple of uh, couple of years, I think, Scott. Uh, we miss, uh, missed out. Uh, I had, I've really had three stages in my career. There's yeah. the, fir- the first bit that I don't tell anybody about, but I'm going to tell just you about it. Uh, Great. And then there's the, the, the second part, which is really the stuff about leading change or helping other people lead change. That's generally IT-enabled uh, change. And then the third part, which is really like uh, uh, independent consulting and teaching i've written a lot of online courses um and uh coaching and mentoring which i got into uh, about 10 years ago for warwick business school uh i was saying to you before we came on air our, our students typically are between 35 and 45 unlike in the us where they're uh, uh, a lot young younger so they tend to be senior uh, execs or people heading for the boardroom or starting their own businesses. And you get, we've had a thousand people go through the program in 10 years. So wow. I've had a, a, a huge amount of insight from talking to those people and I didn't talk to all thousand of them. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, we do, we do regular surveys to see how it, how it's going, what it's like for them. We talk to the other mentors. I'm on the uh, mentoring steering committee and I major on uh, continuing professional development. I, I, oh, the bit of my career I don't talk about is, uh, yeah, I was a programmer. Um, I nice. spent 
I, I spent um, 13 years as an IT professional. I'm quite old. Okay. Uh, and I, I spent uh, four years doing mathematical modeling. So I nice. know what it's like to be a mechanic. My degree is in civil engineering. Yeah. Um, and then I spent three years in electronic publishing, just about when the Macs came out. Okay. And then I went into banking. Now, the reason I don't tell anybody a part about that part of my career is that what I found when I, uh, I then I went off to do an MBA and then I came back from an MBA on what we in, what I was in IT then called the business side, okay. the, 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 the business side, the evil, the evil, is that an evil business side? The evil, the evil business side. The reason <laughs> I did that was because the people on the business side, I felt as an IT person, were just terrible clients yeah. and they just didn't know how to exploit technology. So I wanted to cross over, but once I'd crossed over to the business side, I didn't want people to know I was a technologist. I wanted to be uh, a banker, financial markets person with technology knowledge, not the other way around. Otherwise, people just think that you're busking all the time yeah. and they'll label you as a technology person. So that's the bit I don't talk about. But it's getting cooler these days to say that you're in tech. So I, <laughs> I'm going to reveal it just to you. I'm sure you'll edit this out. I won't tell anyone. I will not let anyone know. That would be good. So, so, <laughs> so that, that's, that's me. Gary, I, I'm. I always love speaking with someone who has just a buffet of different experiences and lenses through which they look at the world. So again, we could look to the Buddhism, we could look to poker, we could look to civil engineering, we could look to gardening. I mean, it, it's it's really, really a lot of fun because the convergence and the sense-making from all of those potentially disparate way of thinking, I, I imagine there's some themes and there's some connections, and I think we're going to get into a little bit of that today. But I love that that mosaic of a background because I think it informs uh, a different approach and a different way of thinking about this topic of leadership. Would you agree? I do agree. I think I've just about got to the point where I'm useful. Um, <laughs> but, but, but by melding those those things to, uh, together and, and um, the book, I'm sure we'll come on to the book, but the yeah. book, uh, the book is called uh, my latest book. I've written two books. The latest book is called uh, gardeners, not mechanics, how to cultivate change at work. Um, actually it's about how to cultivate change anywhere, but from a marketing point of view, you've got to try and find some sort of niche or niche as you, as you might say. Um, <laughs> And there's a lot of all that stuff in there. And there is hidden under the covers. There is some Buddhism. There's some explicit Buddhism actually in the book. Um, And uh, I learned a lot from poker. I mean, uh, the key thing I learned from poker was decision-making under stress. Ah. It's it's learning to live with incomplete uh, information, making making the right decision and getting the wrong outcome. That yeah. happens uh, all the time in poker. Um, and the the Gardeners Not Mechanics thing was uh, like an epiphany for me. Hmm. I was actually in um, Charlotte, North Carolina at okay. the time. And I was, uh, they had uh, the company I was working for there were called, uh, I won't say who they were, but they, they had something called uh, an Emerging Leaders Forum. Yep. And I was running two back-to-back workshops 
uh, for them. And somebody asked me a question and said, uh, Gary, how would you deal with this? Well, as a good kind of coach, I'm trying to avoid giving direct uh, advice and uh, trying to uh, draw up some tools. And in my head, I've got racing around. Well, design thinking would be really useful for that. <laughs> there's some there's some behavioral science in there, and that would be really useful. And uh, the whole thing was on lean project management. I was teaching lean project management. So all these ideas, and I just started to sweat. You know, I just went silent and started to sweat. Yeah. What the hell am I going to say? <laughs> and... And uh, th- there was like 30 people looking at me expectantly. I was on my own doing this whole whole thing yeah. in America, a bunch of people I didn't know. <laughs> and I, I heard myself. Do you know, do you know, you ever get that feeling where you you hear yourself? It's quite interesting, actually, because my, my hobby is behavioral science and psychology. And, you know, we often don't know what we think until we've said it. You know? <laughs> and, and I heard myself. It was like an out-body experience. I heard myself say... Well, it would help if you think like a gardener, not a mechanic. Wow. And that hit the floor like a big lump of lead. (laughs) And then somebody else, somebody in the group said, yeah, what would it mean to cultivate change? Hmm. Oh, and somebody else chipped in and they said, well, you know, you need to, you need to prepare the soil. And I, and I relaxed. I sat back. I stopped sweating. Yeah. And, and I thought, hey, this is this, this is this is good. I, the rest yeah. of the day, I didn't have to do anything. They just, went, <laughs> I mean, you you facilitated classes. This is a dream, right? You're done. You're, You're out. Done. You're like done. that was my pearl. <laughs> and I, I got when I got home. I mentioned it to my wife, and she said, uh, "Well, I think you're onto something." And she said, she specializes in uh, personal development. And uh, she said, well, in personal development terms, and she was off and running as well. Hmm. And then the lockdown happened. We said, hey, let's try and put this in a book. That's right. Hence, uh, gardeners, not mechanics. And, you know, you've had guests on uh, talk about systems and complexity. And the reason the IT thing is a bit relevant for for me now is that we did lots of what we used to call systems analysis. I have a real strong background in systems. But I got frustrated that when people talk about complexity in systems, it's not in the terms that the alumni and business school students that I work with can get a handle on because of the jargon. Uh, Talk about it. Let's jump into... Let's jump into the book. I'd love to hear a little bit more, maybe some themes that rose for you, but bring us into that space. And of course, we won't give it all away, but give us some some thoughts to chew on so that listeners will be enticed to learn a little bit more. So there are two, there are two parts to the book, and there's a timeout in the book as well, which is quite important to me, actually. Um, so I'll try not to forget it. So the first part of the book is like the the key ideas, which is that I did some research into whether people think that uh, organizations are more like machines or ecosystems. Okay. And I think the pandemic's just made it. That I mean, before there used to be a debate around that. Since yeah. the pandemic, everybody just goes, ecosystems. That's, <laughs> that, that, 
that, that's easy. People can see how things are interdependent. And then I ask people, when it comes to change, driving change, how do, how do leaders think about their organizations? Do they think about them as uh, ecosystems or machines? And everybody goes, machines. Mm. And you go, well, there's a problem here because we all, we, most of us think that organizations are like ecosystems and live within ecosystems, but we treat them like machines. What does that mean? It means that machines have uh, a set of inputs that produce predictable outputs. Yeah. And ecosystems are not like that. And I picked out three characteristics in the book about ecosystems, which is uh, unpredictability, limits of uh, uh, control, and interdependence. Okay. Now, unpredictability is often a result of limits of control and interdependence. But it's not just that, uh, because human beings are inherently unpredictable. <laughs> I, the, Daniel Kahneman and Cass Sunstein have got a book coming out soon called Noise. They mm. wrote an article in uh, Harvard Business Review way back. And one of the anecdotes in that was about uh, radiographers looking at cancer screenings. And the same radiographer on a different day gives a 40% variance in terms of the diagnosis that they give. Wow. Wow. Yes. And, and I, I, so I chased this down. I chased down the reference. And uh, when you look into it, if you, you go digging in radiographers' journals, which I did, <laughs> I did. Honestly, I went there. I'm one of those people that somebody tells me something and I go, mm, I'm not, mm, I'm not sure. It kind of sounds, it's a good story. 30% of all change programs fail. It's a good story. I'm going to have to go get the data. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to get the data. The medical profession know how variable diagnosis is. Yeah. They just don't tell us for very good reasons, right? Yes. <laughs> so, oh, I just so, read something I just read something this morning that suggested that, you know, artificial intelligence is now reading cancer you know, diagnosing melanoma at about a 95% accuracy rate and humans, I think, is at about an 87% accuracy rate. So it, just interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so if, so, so my, my uh, so, so where I am on this is that uh, in terms of approaching change, whether it's in our own lives, uh, in society or, or in business, um, we need to embrace unpredictability and know that if we do the same thing in the same place, it doesn't necessarily produce the same results. So how do you deal with that? You, uh, you plan to be adaptable um, and you experiment. I mean, I, I've heard you, Scott, on a couple of occasions, a quote who I think is actually from Molka, which is no battle plan survives contact uh, with the enemy. And, and when, when you read uh, his essay, uh, my wife is German, translated a bit of it for me, um, then it's very much about being adaptable. And you know they do this thing at West Point, the commander's intent. The commander's intent is always at top of the battle plan. So that's the first part of the book, is about really setting out the case. And I tell a story about 
Ron Johnson at JC Penny, which um, you and your listeners may, may may know. I can tell you about it if you don't uh, if you don't know about that. And then the second, say, say a little bit about JC Penny. I'm familiar with JC Penny as a store. Haven't been there in years. Don't know if it still exists. But what it, it was... almost doesn't doesn't exist. Or 1100 stores almost don't exist. Um, okay. So uh, Ron Johnson, um, so Ron Johnson was a graduate at Stanford. Okay. With a passion for retailing, and uh, he decided he was going to start uh, from the bottom up, and he went to work for I think it was called Mervyn's. Yep. Yep. Uh, is that, is that yep. a store? That and is. He, is yep. And he made his name at Mervyn's from <clears throat> bringing in designer brand stuff. Um, from Mervyn's, he was hired by a, a guy called Steve Jobs. Oh, that's uh, right. And then he went to, he went from Apple to J.C. Penney, didn't he? That's that's right. And uh, 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 Apple. Uh, but when he was at J- so he he got what he always wanted, which was which was the top job at, at somewhere, which was CEO at um, J.C. Penney, because he was never going to be CEO at uh, Apple for obvious reasons. Yeah. And when he was appointed, they described the chairman, whose name escapes me for a moment, described him as the Steve Jobs of retailing. Okay. And on the day it was announced, Penny's shares went from twenty four dollars to thirty five dollars. Okay. So they're at $35. And then Ron Johnson came up with a vision for the stores. He said the, the stores are going to be places that you go to as a, a day out. Yeah, like a store. Was it a store within a store kind of concept? There's going to be places to eat and stuff like that. And there aren't going to be any tills. Hmm. They're just going to be people with iPads. And people are going to pay with uh, iPads and stuff, stuff like that. If you look at an Apple store versus a JC Penny store, you may, you may think to yourself, "There's some trouble coming over the hill here." <laughs> Maybe not the same clientele. I don't know. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> some, and so he came up with his vision, and uh, he, he decided he was going to roll them out to roll roll out his vision to 1,100 stores nationwide. Oof. And some somebody challenged him on it and said, "You know, you can test this out." You know, Ron, do we want to pilot this? Do you want to do you want to pilot this? He said, at "Apple, we didn't test anything," which is absolutely not true because tech companies they had mock-ups of Apple stores in warehouses in I think it's Cupertino near near uh, near 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 the Apple headquarters. So they did test everything. Every store, every new Apple store was a test because they didn't exist before, right? But he did it anyway. Uh, cut a long story short, um, he was sacked after 18 months. Um, the JCPenney uh, share price was in absolute free fall. Remember, he took it. He took over it was $24. It, it jumped up to $35. When he left, it was $16. Wow. The chairman said it was an absolute... Uh, disaster. However, it's not the end of the story. Hmm. Because if you go to a department store in the UK, you will see exactly Ron Johnson's vision of the really? world. The, the problem Johnson had was that this has happened with a few people I see that uh, hubris kicks in and hmm. people start to think they're infallible 
and uh, they do what I would call the big bet death grip, which kind of comes a bit out of Cotter and uh, the whole re-engineering fad because CEOs come in and do the CEO's hero bit. Yeah. Right. First, first hundred days got to be a hero. Forget the machine that changed the world and how Toyota came to rewrite manufacturing through incremental change. That's way too boring if you're a big <laughs> gun CEO getting paid really, really big bucks. And that's what the first so that's the first so the first part of the book, Scott kind of lays that out. And then the second part of the book, I took a uh, what I called the elements of gardening, which I pink pinched from a, a gardening blog. And um, I run. There are nine elements of gardening. I can wow. run through 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 those. And then yeah, for each yeah. element of gardening, I've got a personal story. And I deliberately did it as like a personal story. Like I, I am not the CEO of J.C. Penny and Ron Johnson. By the way, if you're out there, you know you, uh, I'm huge admiration for you. So you know, I'm pitching a uh, real people, the sort of people that I coach and mentor. Yeah, you, yeah, you know, I mean, yep. people can go and read Hull's Business Review CEO how I did it. I hate that section. Of that magazine. <laughs> <laughs> it's rarely how we did it, right? Yeah, yeah, how, exactly. How, how <laughs> I I did it. Okay, so I'll, I'll go quiet in a minute, Scott. I'm conscious of having listened to your podcast are. Uh, so often uh, it's supposed to be a conversation, not me broadcasting, <laughs> which is kind of what's happening. No, I want to hear just, these nine things. I want to hear I'm these prob- nine things. I'm probably I just do. a bit overexcitable. Um, <laughs> so, some people say it's standard. Okay. Cause so I know, nine- cause I know nothing about gardening. So I love the fact that we're applying gardening to change right now. And well, you and I, you and I, so here's the thing you can cut this out in the edit, right? So yeah. Here's a, here's a challenge for you. We can go through this with a real change that you have that you would like to make somewhere if you're mm. prepared to, to talk about it on air. Yes, let's do it. Okay, so let's walk through the nine elements of gardening. Do you okay. want a list of what they are before we do that? Or do you want me just to – do you want it to be a surprise? I want it to be a surprise. And so this is – we've got real-time coaching here of, of something I want to change – or that I know I need to change. Okay, let's do it. I'm in. I'm okay. ready. Number one, Scott. <laughs> do you want to articulate what the change is, or do you just want to keep it in your head? I could I could articulate the change for sure. I tend to take on more and more and more because it sounds like I have a lot of interests and there's so much fun things to explore in the world. So I say yes and take on more at the expense of me at times. And uh, ultimately then I think probably my family, because then I might not be my best if I'm doing a 12 hour day, you know, today was up at six, started working and I'm going kind of straight till about eight o'clock tonight, did the same thing yesterday. And so I've created a little bit of a monster for myself only because I have so much passion for everything, but it's in the long run too much. And I need to, I need to discern. I need to extend the timeline. I don't have to say yes to everything now, or I need to learn how to say, I'm going to let that go. 
so, you know, an example would be I'm, I'm teaching, I'm writing, I run a nonprofit that just started a for-profit, have a podcast, up oh, was going to start a second podcast. And again, it's all really, really fun and interesting. And I love it, but I take on too much. And then I, I kind of drive myself into the ground at times because I've, I've created the monster in some ways. Okay. So let's, uh, let's design a, a garden. By the way, these things, the elements of gardening, we're going to go through them sequentially. Okay. But in a real garden, these things are all going on all the time. Yeah. So, so the listeners shouldn't think that I'm advocating this as a, a Cotter-style sequence of things. Step. Oh, I yeah. need to be fair to, Col- to John Cotter. He's a business school professor. Why do I need to be fair to him? Uh, <laughs> but to, to be fair to, 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 to John Cotter, he did come back to it and say – write another article and say all these things go on at the same time in an article called accelerate um a few years ago anyway you know i so- spoke with him i spoke with him one time gary on the phone and i said is it these nine things every time and he said yes <laughs> and i was like wow okay see the thing the thing the thing is before we get into this the, the thing that bugs me about it is I, I was asked to write a change leadership course for somebody the first question i got asked was are you gonna are you gonna te- teach us Cotter? That was the first. So consultants and educators are still using it. Cotter wrote that in 1995. Anyway, so garden two two years time, Scott. Okay. What do you if if you asked a gardener for a plan, what do you think you would get? If I asked a gardener for a plan, well, it's going to be it's going to be extended because. We may not, we may be in August and I should have done something in June. That would have been the appropriate time for something. So there's going to be time involved in that it's going to be fairly extended depending on when I'm starting. So there's, there's a process depending on the weather, depending on when things need to be done. Okay. So there's, there's some seasons around that. Yeah. But another way of looking at that is that if I'm, I'm your consultant landscape gardener. Yeah. uh, I'd say, what's the purpose of your garden? Hmm. What's the vision for your garden? Yep. I like that. So that would, that would be, so that's that. So, so for me, uh, if you ask a gardener for a plan, often they're going to give you a layout. They're going to give you a vision. They're mm-hmm. going to give you some graphics to kind of bring that to life. So yeah. if I was working with you, uh, then I'd kind of get you to close your eyes and tell me what you can. We won't do that now because it probably takes too much time, but what you can <laughs> hear, see, smell, you know, that kind of thing. So the first, so, so step, so the first element of gardening is to, to plan. Okay. The next element is to prepare the soil. Hmm. What would that mean for you in your context? Of the problem I'm working? Yes. Or, okay, so prepare the soil. Well, I think to prepare the soil, you have to do some investigating. You have to do some learning. You have to understand some elements about soil. And so so there's some that comes to mind for me what would be analogous to the score to, to in, in in the change that you're thinking about scott mm-hmm. what would be analogous to the soil yeah 
Well, I think for me in this situation, the, the preparing the soil, for me, at least what comes to mind is having some conversations, having some conversations mm. with my wife, having conversations with other trusted mentors and individuals who can help me gain context and, and help me gain perspective. That, that's what comes to mind for me first. Yeah, I, I hope I, I'm going I, in the right area. I'm going to The point about this is the reason I really like this way of thinking about it, and this is what why there's a timeout in the book. Yeah, because because I in the book I give lots of examples of these things from my own personal experience and some others' personal experience. But say so the, the power of an analogy is when it means the most for for the person using mm. it. Right. Yeah. I'm not trying to give people. This is just a set of prompts to yeah. get people to take their thinking down pathways that would remain unexplored. And under the hood, they're thinking in, in systems terms because the garden yeah. is, is a system and it's complex. So the next thing I would ask you would yeah. be, um, what does it mean to plant well? What does it mean to plant well? I think there's going to be intentionality behind what you're planting and when and where and how much sun there is and what's the season. So I think planting well, at least the word that comes to mind for me is intentionality. And again, understanding so that what you're trying to accomplish, that vision has a chance of living. That's what comes to mind for me. Mm-hmm. Am I doing okay, Gary? <laughs> Well, here's here's an easy one for you. Yeah. Next, we're on to our, we're on to our... So my kids, when they take tests, they have they have I forget what it's called, but the the questions get easier if you're doing poorly. Is that what we're going? Is that what's going on? Do we have adaptive scoring there's going no, on? There's, here, no, there's clearly there's clearly no right answer. Okay. There's clearly no right. Answer. This is this is this is the yeah this is this is the educated part of me coming out. I want to have a story about. Uh, somebody went into an exam and they came out and encountered the professor. It was economics, by the way. Yeah. And the guy said, uh, student coming out and said, I don't know if you realize that the the questions you set are exactly the same as they were last year. And (laughs) the professor said, yeah, but the answers have changed. (laughs) So fourth element of gardening. Yeah. Prune. Hmm. So what do I need to prune? Yeah. See, so this is so timely, Gary, because literally we, they say that you need a person for everything in your life, mm. whether that's a great accountant or a great attorney or a great, and we, we have recently found that person in our life for our, our, how we do our landscaping. Cause this person can walk around our house and say, now this should have been pruned last October, this should have been done then. It, it hasn't been. So I'm going to do it now for you. And so it's interesting. But yes, I mean, I think what is getting in the way of the vision occurring? And wh- how do we need to help the garden? And in fact, we can help the garden grow by pruning some elements. So when it comes to me, I was literally having this conversation with my wife yesterday when we walked because we walk for a couple hours a day and 
we were having this conversation. So if it's me and pruning, it's discerning what is no longer relevant or no longer of service to where I want to go. Hmm. I think part of the challenge, and, and as I reflect on this conversation right now, Gary, I don't know that I have a clear vision for the garden. Mm. There's a lot of gardening happening. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot there's yeah. a lot happening. But what it's all in service to, I I don't have I don't have a clear vision of that. It's just a lot of stuff that I really enjoy. So it's like saying I love begonias, I love tomatoes, I love cucumbers. I'm going to do all of these things, but there's less of a really clear picture at the end of it. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And, you know, there's only one element of gardening in the book where I'm a little bit dogmatic. Yeah. And and that's actually around plan. I'm a huge believer in purpose and vision. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I go all the way back to when I did my MBA, which was, I should have said, when I did my MBA, which was ni- 1993. This is yeah. like in, in Tudor times. <laughs> um, <laughs> King Henry VIII was on the throne of England when I did my, <laughs> my, my, my MBA. And uh, the most popular book at the time was Peter Senge, um, The Fifth Discipline. Yep. And I always remember from that book a shared vision. And he highlighted um, the importance of a shared vision. And, mm. uh, you know, I've run a lot of uh, projects, programs, uh, change programs, and um, so many of them are built on sand because people don't have a clear uh, vision about what they want to achieve. It doesn't mean it can't change, that once, yeah. you know, it has to be chiseled, but it's good to know the direction that you're traveling in, right? Yeah. There is there is an overarching direction that has come more into focus. And I've talked a little bit about this on the podcast. There's more of a direction that's coming into focus, which is around digitizing my work, digitizing mm. my teaching, digitizing uh, the podcast as a form of digitizing. And so for me, there's so that it can be done anywhere. Because I think part of the the long-term vision would be that I could be anywhere. I could be doing yeah. my work in the UK right now, and we could mm. go have a, a pint in a little bit because it's what? You know, it's the afternoon there. And I, I could be doing my work from there for three or four months, or I could be doing my work from somewhere else in the world and, and living and experiencing the world. So I know that that's a piece of the puzzle, but it's it's not totally clear. It's not yeah. totally clear. So we're just doing one pass through this. So this is, yeah. you know, this is the thinking process. Then, so I'll, I'll take you quickly through the other elements, just so we've got a feel for them. Uh, uh, and the next one would be watering. What do you think that might mean for you in your context? Well, am I overwatering? Am I underwatering? Am I watering at the right time? Yeah. What is... what, what what might the water be? What's a good oh, analogy for, me. for water? Hmm. For me, the water, all of the tasks, all of the the stuff that I'm putting into motion. Um, again, sometimes I'll do things to myself, like I'll say, well, I'm going to release four episodes this week. And I almost overwater, mm. right? Mm. And so I think 
how much is too much, what's enough. And, and from a, from a workload standpoint, mm. I think that would be the water, the, the yeah. amount of things I'm putting into motion. And it might be, uh, just to, uh, something else you might consider in there would be relationships. How do yeah. you, how do you, how do you water the relationship? Right. Yep. Yep. So that would be, uh, be another thing. Now in the, in the book at this point, I take a time out. Okay. And the reason I take a time out was, uh, for two reasons. One is to say, uh, I've got lots of stories in the book. That's what I try to do in the second half of the book. It's stories. This yeah. is the way I've thought about it, but we're doing it kind of live now. This is what it means for you is much more important. I mean, really, the book is called Gardeners, Not Mechanics. How to cultivate change at work. That's it. You don't need to read the book. The book is padding. You know, if you just yeah. grab grab the analogy, run run with it. It's just yeah. Told, yeah. told told our listeners not not to buy the book. <laughs> but uh, there's some good stuff in it, honestly. And the other yeah. reason is that I talk about emotions in the book a lot. Um, but um, two of the books that have influenced me most. Uh, uh, over the years, one was uh, Kahneman, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, but the the other one is Lisa Feldman Barrett, uh, How Emotions Are Made. Um, okay. So so I had to take a little bit of time out to say to talk about emotions um, in the book. So and then we move on to uh, steak. Now steak. Now my accent's probably going to be a problem here. <laughs> By steak, I mean uh, something you put in the ground, right? Yes. Yes. Now that can serve more than one purpose. Okay. Right. So you run with it for a moment. I'll, I'll come. I'll, I'll 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 dive in if I need to. Well, a stake, at least in my yard, is helping it for one small tree that we have, help it uh, stay in shape, helping mm. it grow as it should. Mm. So having having support mechanisms or have for me having uh, i i the bowling is coming to mind for me where they have in the states at least you can you can put up these guardrails for your children yeah. when they're bowling and yeah. it it doesn't allow gutter balls yeah but for me i think it's what are those signposts or guide guidelines that are going to help keep us in the right direction that's really growing. interesting. That's really interesting, Scott, because you've you've combined two things that are absolutely <laughs> spot on with gardening, which is one is support. So where is the support going to come from in mm -hmm. the change? And the other one is a constraint. I mean, constraints are the engine of creativity, right? Yeah. There's a book called uh, uh, A Beautiful Constraint. I can't remember the author. For, uh, oh, nice. It, 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 it escapes me. But I mean, you know, Engineers use constraints all the time. And people have constraints in their visions. Um, certainly the iPhone, the Sony Walkman, if anybody on the uh, on the podcast is old enough to remember. remember oh, yeah. That. Okay, we're nearly there. We're nearly okay. there. Okay, we've got two, two more. Are the to questions going to get harder now again? Two, two more to go. <laughs> the, the, the number eight, element of gardening. Bear in mind, listeners, it's not sequential. These, all, these things are all going on in the garden at the same time. Yes. Uh, ensure good health. What does that bring to mind? Ensure good health. So if I if I think of my, well, I said it at the beginning when I stated the problem statement. I tend to say yes to everything else almost at the expense of me. So then I'm kind of on E. And am I pri prioritizing uh, elements of health? Am I eating because of stress? Am I 
not sleeping well because so much is kind of going on in my head and I'm not in a restful place because there's so much. And so what was the one again? I just, I just forgot it as I was ensure good health, ensure good health. Yeah. That's that sustainability. And if I'm not, I'm kind of running it like a sprint right now and not a marathon. Yeah. And at the expense to my own health at times. Yeah. Yeah. So then you, it'd be a case of saying, what would you, what would you do? What would you change to do that? In organizational terms, the stories in the book, I, I, I talk about um, organizational culture yeah. um, as things that in a garden, you, you tend to think pests and diseases. I don't really like to think about eliminating and think about uh, uh, culture as uh, organization, culture as a, a potential inhibitor of yeah. growth. And uh, I've done a lot of work in organizational culture over uh, over the years, and have a you'll be surprised to not have a view on that. Um, <laughs> so the the oh and the growth mindset, of course, yeah. you can't leave gardening without the growth mindset. Yeah. Um, and f- so finally, uh, so then then the final one uh, is um, enjoy your harvest. Mm. How are you going to enjoy your harvest? What harvest are you going to enjoy? Yeah, it ties back to purpose. Yeah. That's part of my problem, Gary. I, I enjoy meeting you right now. I enjoy these conversations. I, and that's part of the harvest is that I'm getting energy from in this constraints. You said, you said constraints facilitate creativity and innovation. Mm. Is that what you said? Yeah, that's true. Isn't it? You know, my wife and I were on a walk the other day and she said, I, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit isolated. I'm not connecting with others the way I normally do. And this year has been wonderful from that perspective because I'm meeting people like you from all over the world and having conversations and building relationships, cultivating relationships, you know, continuing long-standing relationships. So, you know, in an odd way, this is this conversation right here is the harvest. Really cool conversations with cool people who are thinking about leadership in very interesting ways. And if that can help other people think about leadership in different ways, that's really, really a lot of fun. That's cool. So in 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 a sense, the harvest or the the high, the dopamine hit that I get from engaging in all of these different projects with different people and the enjoyment that that brings, that can at times cause me to, uh, well, my, my, a boss I had said, you might have a tomato plant problem. Does that make sense from a gardening standpoint? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> but I, I just really like tomatoes, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, and yeah, and the homegrown ones are the best, right? Yeah. <laughs> the ones at the supermarkets are terrible. Here they're yeah. terrible anyway. Yeah. Because they're 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 grown to be able to travel and bounce. Yeah. Um so then I would challenge you. Scott, yeah. Yeah. And I would I would challenge you and say, Well, that's all very interesting. Yeah. Um how big is your garden? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's conversations like this that are so meaningful and fun because literally in the moment right now, 
I'm kind of scrambling because you're challenging me to think about things in a very, very different way, which I, I love. And you're, the, the metaphor of the garden is a wonderful one because there's so many connections that can be made. The thing I like, and the thing I like about it is that you you can you can talk about systems and complex systems and emergent properties and all the kind of jargon that goes around complex systems. But everybody gets a garden, and they know that if the plants get, if your roses get green fly on them, or you know your tomatoes get blight or whatever, you know that things are interconnected. So when you start to think about it in the way that a gardener would think about it, it's just natural to think about the interconnections. It's natural to understand that the weather is not under your control. And it's not, you know, it, it's not a perfect analogy. No analogy is perfect. But my goal, my goal is just to get people or ask people rather to ask people to pursue the analogy even if they don't like it if you don't like it this this analogy stinks i'm i'm, I'm halfway through um uh i finally got around to reading um the jobs biography okay um, isaacson the isaacson yeah. and steve jobs might say that analogy is shit and i'd say i'd say well steve you know just run with it for a bit <laughs> and see see if it takes your mind down some paths that would have re- otherwise remained uh, untrodden and that's yep. that's 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 all it's trying to do it's a thinking tool yep i love it so how much do i owe you gary <laughs> <laughs> you brought me you tricked me <laughs> i do do some pro bono coaching <laughs> i do i do you know what i do some i do some coaching for the management team at, uh a hospice and um that is so enjoyable and I've really got over my fear of working with people that are towards the end of their lives. And, oh. um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very, and the people and the people that work with them, uh, cause I do some stuff in the community and I do some stuff, uh, with the management team as well. And, uh, that is really enriching cause you get a, a really, really different point of view. Oh, things. that is whatever God is for you. I don't, I'm not putting any particular faith on anyone here, but they're, they're doing God's work. Uh, and I've said this one other time on the podcast, I think, but I had a, I had a friend colleague in the international leadership association community who we, we got on the topic of hospice once and we kind of rumbled around with an idea of an article because in many ways they're kind of leading people through the process leading the family, yes, yes, leading the individual yes. through this. And, and so we'd had this idea of an, an article, like you're the last, your last leader, but to do that work is, it's incredible. It really is. Mm. And again, especially with the family and the loved ones that are also not at their best and difficult time for many. I, uh, we, we, uh, the hospice I'm with runs a, a scheme called Compassionate Neighbors, mm. and it's trying to do the. Uh, people often have a vision of a, a hospice. It might be different in the US, um, where it's it's like a hospital where people go. So yeah. what our hospice is trying to do is to do much much more in the community. <clears throat> like like my mum, my mum died 
15 years ago and she she wanted to live her last years in her own home yeah and uh so do much more with that and when you talk we get on a call we have a weekly call with the compassionate neighbors and um don't mean this the wrong way they're uh, ordinary people yeah you know uh they're not intellectuals the wisdom that comes out of the people is just awe-inspiring Hmm. Don't use it. Don't use the term lightly. I'm not not one for hyperbole. Yeah. But um, amazing, amazing work. And talk about you know change and complexity. You got it right there. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, Gary. Such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for challenging my thinking. Thank you for <laughs> bringing your perspective to listeners. I think it's just a wonderful perspective, and I'm excited to buy the book. I'm excited to read it. I'm excited to reflect more on uh, how you're thinking about the topic. I really am. Like As soon as we close up shop here, I am going to switch over to Amazon, and I'm going to buy the book. And... Thank you for the work that you do. As you know, we always close this out by saying, you know, asking the question of what you're listening to, what you're reading, what you're streaming. It could have something to do with leadership. It doesn't have to have anything to do with leadership. But is there something that you found useful that listeners might find useful? Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I've, got, I've, got, I've got some things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in terms of reading... Um, uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett just put out a book called Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain, which oh. is ter terrific. It's it's uh, a lot less difficult than her book, which is like a semi-academic book, uh, How Emotions Are Made. Okay. Uh, I think it, it's essential reading for leaders, as far as I'm concerned. Same as, oh, okay. I don't think you should be allowed to lead anything until you've read Kahneman. Um, you know, it's, uh, the thinking the fast other, and slow? Yeah. The, the the other the other two books uh, live wired by e, uh, D uh, david eagleman which is about how the brain works which is fascinating and it's easy to read on the on the beach no offense david it's just really re well written and the other one was uh, adam grant um just written a book called uh, think again and that really chimed with my book my buddhism because uh one of the things in buddhism is uh, non-attachment and one of the things in there is non-attachment to ideas and views and letting go of uh, deeply held views and ideas can be some somewhat of a, a challenge in terms of things that um i've watched or, or listened to, to i'll mention two things um the first the first thing is uh there's a bbc podcast called sideways and it's it's uh it's taking a second look at things and uh, one of them is uh, uh, he did he did one on OODA loops. You've talked about OODA loops before yes, on, on, yes. on the podcast. There was one on OODA loops, and uh, but there was one on Max Martin. Uh, I don't know Max. Now Martin. you don't know who Max Martin is, but you know who Britney Spears is. Oh yes. So I'm not. I was tempted to try and sing it. So uh, Max, Max Martin is a Swedish songwriter. And he has had only Lennon and McCartney have had uh, more U.S. number one hits singles, and he's he's virtually unknown. Really interesting. Two interesting things about Max Martin was is that um, he's a, a mad collaborator. 
uh, I, I mean, he collaborates a lot to produce good work. And also they experiment with tracks. They will take tracks out into clubs to see what works and what doesn't work before they decide what it was. Uh, he wrote most of the hits for the Backstreet Boys. It's not my cup of tea musically, but uh, uh, Britney Spears, Taylor Swift, uh, Katy Perry's career was all in terminal decline. Uh, she was called Kate Hudson, and she came back as Katy Perry, uh, yeah. Max Martin. Anyway, it's 30 minutes, and it's great. It's great. It's great fun. Uh, it's called huh. Sideways. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that's the, very cool. The, the last thing, a non-work thing, if I may. Uh, yes, Scott, yeah. Just to, just to, 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 because I'm on hospice uh, interest, there's a, a, a Chilean um, documentary that's nominated for an Oscar, and the English name is The Mole Agent. Okay. Now, this this the the description of it sounds terrible and depressing, right? So yeah. somebody puts an advert in the paper to recruit somebody between the age of eighty and ninety to go into an old people's home to investigate whether their mother is being mistreated. Okay. And it sounds terrible and dark. Uh, it isn't. It's really. It's truly uplifting. If um, if if you like Shit's Creek, then you would like this. It's like taking a warm bath. It is just <laughs> full of compassion and humanity. It is a great watch if you don't mind subtitles. Oh, that's wonderful. I will put that in the show notes for sure for viewers, and I will take a look at that as well. And I wasn't expecting you to go to Shit's Creek with the the setup of that. <laughs> uh, the thing I the thing I love about well, the thing I like about Shit's Creek is that so much comedy. By the way, I'm somebody. My favorite comedy program of all time is Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, oh yeah, yeah. But um, the thing I love about Shit's Creek in this time of COVID is that I like all the people in it. Yeah, you know the the humor isn't at anybody's expense. Yeah, everybody's laughing along, and yep. uh, so when I'm, you know, if I'm not feeling best in my game, I'll I'll watch an episode of Shit's Creek. Who doesn't do that? It's it's a great show. It's a great series. We've we've found a lot of joy as a family in comedies, whether it's The Good Place. Have you watched The Good Place? I I I, I thought the first two series were fantastic. Third okay. series, I thought they were busking a bit. Okay. Yes, it, you know we really enjoyed that. We we got T-shirts for our Thanksgiving of. It said Jeremy Barramy on it and yeah, just yeah. kind of celebrated as a family. But comedy has been something that's been absolutely wonderful in the last year. And my daughters, this is a this is a parenting win, Gary. They can quote whole passages from Monty Python's Ho in the Holy Grail. Oh wow. <laughs> so. I, I I would hear, you know what, I have a bone to pick with you on this because you don't get to hear Emily until the credits are over. <laughs> <laughs> and we do we do not get enough of them. I'd love to hear her reciting. <laughs> Maybe you can edit, I could literally call her more. down here right now, and she could give you the. We are now the knights who say icky icky. <laughs> I'd love to hear it. Uh, well, sir, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate the conversation. So much fun. Thanks for the time, Scott. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. If you are listening closely, you could actually hear the gears in my mind turning. 
throughout that discussion. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was wondering if we were having some adaptive scoring going on, but I really appreciated that conversation with Gary. Like I said, I went out, I bought the book, and right on the first page, there's a quote that I just love. The world of work is an ecosystem of interdependent organizations, groups, and individuals. If you want to make sustainable change at work, you are more likely to succeed if you approach your change as a gardener, not a mechanic. Later in the book, he has three questions that really stood out for me. How can you create an adaptable plan that responds to the unforeseen? How can you conduct experiments, build prototypes, and run pilots to explore uncertainty? And how can you be alert for unintended and unexpected consequences? The practical wisdom for me here is that uh, we are all works in progress and approaching change, whether it's ourselves or in our organizations, approaching that as a gardener may be a more functional metaphor than as a mechanic. Gary, thank you for the good work that you do. You helped me. I've been reflecting on our conversation a lot, and I'm excited to dig deeper into the book because each one of us can improve, develop, and grow, just like that garden, and each one of us can thrive just like that garden, but we have to tend to it. Take care, everybody. Be well. Bye-bye. You, my friend, have just finished another episode of Phronesis Practical Wisdom for Leaders. To get in touch with me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Now, if you have feedback, I would love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening to Phrenesis. If you like Phrenesis, I have a second podcast. It's called the Captovation Podcast. That's with an O, Captovation Podcast, where I speak with experts on the topic of designing and delivering incredible presentations. And now, Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen. We are no longer the knights who say, Nee. We are now the knights who say,